0: One it year. does
1: feel weird. Feels weird to be able to. There's see there's certain
0: things that you there's certain things we don't need to do when we're recording in person. Like we don't need to clap.
1: But we don't need to set up the video call.
0: Yeah, we don't need to fire up the old Zoom. Yeah. But also, like I realized, when you edit something that's done in person, is a lot easier. No, you don't think so. No, it's way easier. because if you
1: have separate tracks, then I can cut out all of the sound from your end.
0: But I think that the I actual- can also
1: manipulate, in theory. You can manipulate what someone says because you have two clean tracks.
0: True, but I think that the actual dialogue is easier.
1: This is weird. I don't know how to do this anymore. How are we starting? This is Making It Up, a podcast where we tell you what's happening in creative culture and why it matters. I'm Cherise Poon, and my co-host is Eugene Kanth.
0: We don't always have all the answers, but we try our best to reach a conclusion that adds value to the conversation.
1: If you like this podcast, please share an episode with a friend. We really appreciate it. We also haven't actually recorded making it up in a couple weeks. Yeah, we took a little bit of a break. We took a bit of a break. So am I even first? Technically, you're first. But since we, if we went by the alphabetical order thing, by subject.
0: Do you want me to go first?
1: No, since we started talking about the new year. We'll just go with mine first.
0: All right. I didn't read yours, by the way.
1: Thanks, Eugene.
0: But I like to do that. I like to keep an open mind. Has
1: that been working for you in life?
0: Yeah, of course. It's I funny just, you bring that up because I like to I like to not prepare like overly for interviews. I just like to have a general sort of like top level overview and just let the conversation go.
1: I was telling someone about how we have very different approaches to that because I overprepare I don't like for that. interviews where I read everything a person has
0: it feels too said. sterile, too surgical. It
1: doesn't mean that I'm sterile in conversation. It just means that I'm well prepared. I guess it just means that I know about their background, and then I don't say something but dumb. Mayb-
0: but maybe it's also because the people I speak with, I generally have some sort of background information around them.
1: That's fair. That so I've you've never had like, to interview someone like completely stranger. Like you were assigned someone essentially.
0: Yeah, maybe. Then not. you'd
1: have to read about them. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, you're not gonna know. N- you have yeah, to not- not at least know someone's CV.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not saying you're reading every single. Well, sometimes, I mean, maybe I should take that
1: back. Well, anyway, we have different approaches. Eugene's more freestyle. Thanks for not reading my article, even though I did send it at least 18 hours in advance.
0: To be fair, I wasn't feeling well yesterday.
1: You weren't feeling well. He has a skin infection that has turned into an all-body disease. Yeah, it sounds terrible.
0: It sounds weird. And basically, I have a really bad turf burn that I think got infected.
1: And it is now causing your entire body
0: to break To, feel, to break down and yes. fall apart. My legs will fall off.
1: Great start to the year. Okay, my subject is, this year, accept that you will break your budget. And this comes from New York Magazine's The Cut. It is written by Charlotte Cowles, who is the financial advice columnist of The Cut. She specializes in writing about personal finance and giving advice on that subject. She wrote this piece on December 31st, And it was about her 2019 from the lens of personal financing. And she said, you know, she started really motivated, wanting more control, ready to make a plan and stick to it, which is like a very typical mindset that a lot of people have when they start a new year or any kind of like new phase in their life. But one thing that's different is she knew that her motivation wasn't going to last. And probably because she's a financial advice columnist, so has some understanding of that. And I really liked this quote that she put in from financial psychologist, Brad Klontz, who told her that people cycle through phases of motivation. And so you should harness those phases when you have them. He said, that New Year's resolution phase or the action phase is when you're highly motivated for change. Even though it's temporary, it can be incredibly useful to set things in motion. You also wanna use it to automate as much as you can to maintain the changes you've made. And so automation helps the maintenance phase going which I felt you would like. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I read that and I was like, oh, Eugene will really like this one part of this article. And the idea is that you can't necessarily force yourself to feel motivated. It's just that each of us goes through these ups and downs of feeling motivated. And when you're super motivated, you have to use that to like put in safety nets or whatever it is, mechanisms.
0: I wish you guys could see Sharice's hand signs, Like, like a wave. But anyways, no, I totally agree with that. Can I ask why you picked this topic? It seems very out of left field.
1: One, it was timely. You know, I kind of like that thing to do things that are relevant to the time of year. Like I'm the only person who cares about whether we get to 100 episodes or 200 episodes. So one, it was timely. Two, I couldn't find anything else that I was really interested in news-wise, maybe because it's like slow at this point of year just like browsing and everything was like a best of the decade. And I also guess for me, I have been, I upcoming this year definitely need to take some more measures financially speaking. So I've been. Can I stop you for a second? Yeah, go ahead.
0: Maybe I would actually, what I would like to see you link back is like, how do you think this impacts ourselves? I guess basically as whether you're, a quote-unquote small business owner or a freelancer.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I totally resonate with this idea of phases, which is apparently been something studied since the 1980s. And it's not just about like motivation phase, but apparently we're all at any moment in one of five stages of change, okay? Pre-contemplation, not even thinking about changing. Contemplation, thinking about it. Preparation, deciding to do it and creating systems that will make it happen. Action, which is the change and then maintenance, which is like the rest of your life. Okay. So back to me. So when I first started freelancing, that was like making this big change in terms of my financial ordering of life. So I had to do a lot of like logistics things. Like I applied for this sole proprietorship. I decided to use a certain bank account for like my incoming invoices. I um, subscribed to, what is it called? Invoicing planning software, made that decision. So I made all of these like relevant decisions, which I guess you could say the preparation, and then I've committed to using all of those things. I improved at it. I'm not gonna say I was really good at it from the start, but like over the four years now that I've been freelancing, except for the most recent eight months, I've definitely maintained These systems and it worked really well for me. Yeah, like I, I don't, I never feel like I fell off the wagon. I always sent my invoices on time. I always checked with my bank, etc. So then, the last eight months, as you know, I haven't really been working. I've been extremely. The only work I've done is for you, essentially. Yeah, and I haven't taken on any new clients. I've essentially been just doing the master's student thing, other than occasional jobs for you. And therefore, even though all of those systems worked great, like I'm no longer doing it. I'm not in practice and yeah. anymore. And looking at this upcoming year where I'm done with the master's program, I need to be working again. And I also have less money now because of all the money I spent during the masters. Mm. I really need to like get back yeah. on track slash maybe set up some new systems.
0: Yeah. I think the one thing that has been most helpful for me, because that's the thing too, is going from like a pretty steady job to like doing your own thing, there's a lot of uncertainty and knowing the incoming, outcoming element of your money is actually really important and that outgoing part is hard to track or it was hard to track, let's say 10 years ago, but I think... Nowadays, there's a lot of good platforms out there where you basically plug in all your bank accounts, all your credit cards, like I'm not even going to get into like the security side of it just so much as like having have it access to those types of services. Everything becomes a lot easier because you know the money is going where, yeah, and you're seeing it, you're seeing the amounts, you're seeing it broken down into a pie chart. I think that's really critical, and it's helped forecast as well, like both how much money you might need to save up you might need to keep stashed away because you know in general every month before the month even starts i know i have to commit you know x number of dollars for rent um for insurance whatever it may be
1: i mean you're totally right that now compared to even 5 years ago there's way more options in terms of automation that links your different incoming outgoing like you said like if you use a certain credit card then you can link it to an app and then everything you spend on your credit card can already be like pre categorized. And so I think one of the reasons I picked this article was really just like I have been lazy in some ways in not figuring those things out for myself. Mm-hmm. Cause I think when I was a very active freelancer, I was in this mindset where like, like you said, I was like, I'm like a small business owner. I really need my shop to like be in order because I have these clients and like I just need things to be running smoothly. But then once I became a I guess, student slash very occasional freelancer, it was like, oh, well, it's just me. It's just mm-hmm. like my personal finances. But that's totally like not a reason to let
0: yeah. your
1: finances go into disarray.
0: Yeah, if like, anything, it's like more important. Like when you run a business, you kind of need to know what your run rate is, aka like how much it costs to like run your business, right? Yeah. And you as a person, as like a, on a personal tip, need to also know what your run rate is. Oh, definitely. And I don't know like, if most people do know, right? Yeah. Because think about it, like nowadays, your rent or your mortgage, probably not your mortgage because like homeowners, yeah. generally a bit of a rarity going forward especially, but like your gym membership, your Netflix, all these things sort of add up and it's so helpful to have it all laid out so you know, hey, when I when I see all these different subscription charges, which are the ones that are most important, which are the ones I use the least? Yeah. Right? And so- I think that's really important and I that's the one thing that's changed my outlook on money. Like I've always been not irresponsible with money, but I never looked at it or scrutinized it. But I see that now when I do scrutinize it, it does actually make my life a little bit easier because it's, it's one thing that you don't need to scrutinize it like every single month, but it's like track it over like four months. And then once you've done that work and you've kind of done your spring cleaning of, of how you spend your money, it actually becomes a lot easier because yeah. you also derive more value from how you spend your money. Not to say that money being spent is obviously the, the foundation of happiness. It's just more, if I'm going to spend my money here or there, then I know it's because I really want to spend it there.
1: And something Kyle says as well is that even if you don't have a goal for your money, just the tracking is enough to get you into a mindset. Like, mm-hmm. like what you were saying, like not even trying to restrict yourself and just observing where your money is going and where it's coming from will give you a greater awareness and that kind of already has the effect of restricting you and to talk a little bit more about solutions which i liked she says that in her own personal narrative she started to get really tired after four months of doing this like really rigid budgeting system and she chose intentionally to like take a break from the budgeting like she was going on vacation and she was like okay i'm just going to take a break and then she like totally fell off the horse and then couldn't get back onto it again and so research shows that one of the most damaging things actually when you pick up any new habit is this mentality of all or nothing when you have this feeling of either I'm entirely right or I'm wrong and if I'm wrong then like f it let's just go wrong all the way then your habit breaks and it's way more important to just be flexible yeah yeah
0: yeah I agree too
1: and I liked this this I mean, I think finance is really important when you talk to freelancers, small business owners, people who are thinking about going into freelancing, but this is obviously applicable to any habit. Like I, like previously I had uh, wanted to reduce my caffeine consumption. Is that same thing of not being so rigid, like, oh, once I have one coffee, it's over. I might as well just have two coffees a day again. Mm-hmm. It's just being, giving yourself more. Yeah. Is this applicable to any of your own habits? doesn't have to be a new habit
0: yeah i mean there used to be things that i felt needed to be tracked to the t and then i realized that soon it became just overbearing to utilize that level of execution when i would lose interest in it or i would it would not feel like it was actually beneficial and one example would be like tracking to the scent where everything's going like well honestly if it's if if there's like a unaccounted for like 100 bucks a month, then it's not really a big deal.
1: What do you use? Do you mind me asking?
0: I use Planto. There's actually a good thing I was going to bring up too because a lot of different markets will have different platforms. So in Hong Kong, it's like Planto. But like I don't think you could use that in like Singapore, for example.
1: So is it something where you enter everything into Planto and then it outputs?
0: No, it's actually pretty automated. So it's good because it has... My credit cards, my bank accounts, has my octopus, which is like in other parts of the world, it's like your... Metro card. Metro card, basically.
1: Yeah.
0: If you have like investments, like it also tracks like your investments, your mortgage. So it actually has taken a lot of the sort of legwork out of that. And it's changed significantly. It's something I actually wanted Mm. for a long time, but it just, no one did it in Hong Kong. And I think in the US there's one called what it is actually, there's quite a few in the U.S. I think.
1: So you never had a phase in your life where you were using an Excel spreadsheet?
0: I did for a little bit, but then it just there's so many small charges that come up. It just didn't really help. Or it's not that it didn't help. It's just like I I couldn't be bothered to spend that much time doing it.
1: Yeah. The advice you would give is to really find some kind of software that yeah. works for you. Yeah. Do you pay for Planto?
0: For now, no, because I think it's a startup. Oh, interesting. Yeah.
1: Okay, changing tack a little bit from off of finances to go back to what you said in terms of like what do you want to learn this year? My question was actually going to be to you: Are there any good habits that you want to pick up this year?
0: My good habit is probably putting my away like right away.
1: That is a good habit that you do.
0: No, oh, you wait. I thought one that I wanted to pick up.
1: Yeah, one the, that is one that you want to pick up. Yeah. Okay, good. Because I'm sitting in your flat right now, Eugene. It's kind of messy. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. So the one you want to do is put your stuff away.
0: Yeah. But I also have just a lot of stuff.
1: You need like some kind of storage system.
0: Yeah. I probably want to learn another language. Parlor Mandarin.
1: Oh, hey. That's definitely a habit-based thing yeah. to learn a language.
0: I recently came across this app and I kind of knew it existed. I just needed to find it. But basically you just find a teacher online, you book them out and you just do like a voice call.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah.
0: Or sorry, a video call. Yeah.
1: I recently downloaded an app on that subject of Chinese called Pleco. It's like a really good Chinese English dictionary. Yeah. Or like Mandarin Cantonese English dictionary. So, for me actually, this is funny talking to you cuz you're really good at this, but I think exercise for me is one that I still struggle to get into a habit of doing. I really go through phases of like doing a lot of exercise and then absolutely nothing. Then a lot and I feel like I just need to be more chill and be okay with consistent occasional exercise. Does that make sense?
0: I totally understand because I used to be that guy that would go to the gym like 3-4 times a week. And yeah. now I'm in the gym maybe once. It's not that I've reduced the amount of activity, it's just that I used to go to the gym, you know, 4 times a week, but now it's like gym at least once a week and then I play footy three two three times at least so somewhere in that ratio is kind of what i feel comfortable with and it's like because you had a previous baseline and now there's a new baseline you have to just be okay with you know other things that you deem to be more important encroaching on that time yeah which before like it was i I don't even know how i did it before like i I don't know why i would spend that much time going to the gym just like i think it was something to do It, well, that's the thing it was like important at the time but yeah. now it's like oh man there's other things that i need to spend time doing yeah
1: i think for me it's always been like this idea that oh perfect health is exercising three to four times a week for 30 to 45 minutes right and so like that being the ideal if i can't do that it feels like oh, i failed again this week i only went to the gym once and I think if I just could like shed that way of thinking and be like, going once a week is already really good, then I would just overall be better at going and doing exercise. That's the habit I would like to pick up, which is so stereotypical for New Year's things. But
0: It is interesting when a lot of the change that we want to enact is something that I I think can be solved innately, Mm. but we often defer to external forces to help us change.
1: Don't you think it's because it's, We know that our willpower is weak.
0: I mean, if you already admit it's weak, then for sure you're going to fail from the start though.
1: No, but your will, I don't think so. I think if you admit your willpower is weak and therefore you set up something externally to help you out, then you're going to ensure greater success overall.
0: I mean, the thing that I I think is an example that I never really needed it was like a gym buddy.
1: That's not really what I was thinking of when I said external things like the app. Yeah, I don't don't see the external
0: app as being.
1: But it is external. It is, but it's also
0: like you're making the change internally.
1: I think in terms of fitness, having something that is the equivalent of like the app for fitness would work really well. I don't know what that is like for me. Like if that's just something that charted your progress, like if I gamified my own, which totally exists, then Mm -hmm. maybe that would work. It's okay to admit your weakness. If you admit your weakness and then you find something to fill the gap, that's good. If you just admit your weakness and give up, then obviously, like you're not. I don't know.
0: Maybe maybe it's just me. From a self-esteem standpoint, I always how do I put this? Like obviously, I can't be great at everything, but I always felt uh, some type of way if I was weak at something I cared about. Like I would almost drive me to figure it out on my own Mm. like if personal finance was something that i cared about because i knew it was important Mm -hmm. but i knew i was not good at it it would drive me to want to be better
1: but you can use aids to become better yeah yeah like if you wanted to get better at mandarin but you resisted using anything other than like yourself in a textbook i feel like you're shooting yourself in the foot yeah 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 that's it for me honestly i think that covered Everything I hope everyone sets up maintenance systems, yeah, essentially.
0: if anyone has any questions about this sort of intersection between finance and freelancing or like running a small business, I won't say that we know anything and everything about it, but we generally have some experience. So if you want to shoot us a question,
1: we can talk about our personal experiences. I yeah. don't think the way that we've done it is the only solutions, but
0: Yeah, yeah. I do feel that that's the one thing that resonates a lot with freelancers. Money. Money. Yeah.
1: Oh, good moment to say we also have a series on money, which is a mix of theoretical and practical solutions called Making Money Moves. So Yeah. you can go check that out too.
0: Yeah, check it out on the site. My topic this week is how we'll remember this decade. So obviously, that's a very general title. It's from a piece written by Derek Guy from Die Workwear, and Die is written Die, comma Workwear exclamation. I think that's important because it's what? No, I appreciate I appreciate
1: the distinction that you are making. Please continue. Well, the reason why I think Die comma Workwear exclamation point.
0: But I think it's important because if you don't have the punctuation, you don't you don't really get the full gist of what type of publication it is. So it's like kind of ingest. It's kind of tongue in cheek in a way. And I would say that dye workwear is probably one of the last remaining and acutely sharp fashion blogs out there. And what they've done is pen a recap of the last decade of fashion. So this piece I came across because it was shared on Jeremy Kirkland's Blamo Slack group. And if you're not familiar with Blamo, it's a podcast around some of the most innovative, pioneering, interesting personalities in fashion. And this piece goes over several macro themes. So I'll kind of list out the macro themes uh, and then give a little bit of background context and then dissect each of the macro themes. So what he talks about are media fragmentation, the rise of online fashion, and new democracy in fashion. But before we get into it, the piece itself references a Kathy Horan article from 2015. And I'm going to read two quotes that Guy shared. Throughout the 20th century, the way women dressed was governed by trends. From the hobble skirt of the 1910s, a Paris invention that spread to small cities and was ultimately sold by Sears, to Dior's radical new look of 1947, to the 60s miniskirt. But for lots of reasons, mostly to do with the economics and inevitably the internet, the industry has moved away from that model. The last big trend that I can recall, one that started on the runway and exploded among mainstream manufacturers, was the hospital green cargo pants that Nicolas Ghesquière made for Balenciaga. That was more than a decade ago. Guy follows us up with another quote. Now, to look at the spring collections is to see broad categories based on distinct vintage styles: the full-skirted '50s dresses at Bottega Veneta and Michael Kors, among others; the '60s mini shifts and glossy surfaces shown at Carven, Louis Vuitton, and Giambattista Valli's younger line, Giamba, and the unbelievable amount of 70s funk and color in shows like Gucci, Etro, and Derek Lamb. I could go on. The fashions of every decade since World War II are represented in the new spring collections. That may sound more like revivalism, but the ability to find styles that actually suit one's body and personality is cause for celebration, offering women so many more forms of self-expression. In the past, trends allowed every part of the fashion business to get a piece of the action. Department stores could sell their beloved hot items. Magazines could assert their authority over readers. And manufacturers could produce endless knockoffs. This may have been great for business, but less so for the consumer. So that's sort of the underlying look into how trends have changed, essentially. And these are the macro themes that I think emerged. Now, media fragmentation wasn't one that he called out on his own. But I think that it's very much in line with what he. Well, the reason why I say. He
1: references it. He doesn't call it media fragmentation. But but
0: what I'm saying is, like, he doesn't have, like, a a title for it. Because the other two have, like, bold titles. Uh, Ah, got it. Yeah. So, of the three macro themes, the first one that was, in some ways, referenced there is, like, media fragmentation. And this is something that I think we both feel very strongly about. Obviously, we work in media, we kind of have a. A relative grasp on how things are. And Guy makes note that fashion gatekeepers no longer hold the same level of power as before. And that as per Antonio Cagnoli of 18E said in a Failing Upwards podcast, unless you're Kanye West, it's tough for any one person to move the needle. And if you're unfamiliar with media fragmentation, essentially what it is is that it's basically the content and the media we consume nowadays is no longer channeled through only a handful of sources it's really fragmented where like there's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, cable television, Netflix, all that stuff. So the example I like to use is that Thereesa and I have overlapping interests, right but at the same time, she also has interests that are different from mine. you have and interests that are different from: exactly, mine. and things that are viral in your world may not be viral in my world or ever cross over into my world yeah so like for example. There might be an interesting book that was released and that, you know, maybe the author went and said something really controversial.
1: It's interesting because Eugene and I are both extremely online people. Yeah. And we also We read, don't always see
0: the same we don't always see the same we thing. We almost
1: never see the same thing. Yeah. We very rarely overlap and see the same thing, even though we are both almost constantly reading something. Yeah. So that really says one of the other topics that there. we
0: were deliberating over was the little Michaela thing. Yeah. Did you see that when it first dropped? I did see that when so it first dropped. So I didn't see that when it first dropped, and, and someone sent me the link to yeah, it. Yeah, and I
1: didn't mention it to you.
0: Yeah, but I did. Side note: This little Michaela thing is uh, the virtual influencer who CGI created, and she did a video about sexual assault, and basically it just kicked up this whole thing where people are like questioning whether or not a virtual influencer should be able to, to talk about these things.
1: But relevant to this current subject about media fragmentation, because of the Spaces I'm in and what I pay attention to. I happen to watch the video when it came out, like the video itself from the source, and then Eugene actually sent it to me maybe two days ago as a link, as an article that was um, a kind of analysis piece about it. So,
0: mm-hmm. and beyond that, one thing that I think will further exasperate media fragmentation is the new business models that are developing in media, so subscription versus ad based. So basically. Not to say you can't, you know, find a way around a a paywall. It's getting more challenging, I would say. But in general, like that will also create a division because if you don't have the means to, you know, afford a subscription, then you might not have access to that content. Similar to Netflix, right? Well, it's
1: also that we might both decide that we're going to spend 15 US a month on media, but we're going to put our money in different places. Yeah. And so then maybe I'll be reading the New York Times and the Washington Post and then you'll be reading the Economist and the Financial Times and then we can't even send articles to each other because Mm -hmm. we're both behind different paywalls. Yeah. Just as an example.
0: Yeah. So basically to kind of wrap it all up, media fragmentation means that it's really hard for ideas to gain that critical mass like they once did in the past. So imagine what it was like back in the day when you really only had like television and radio, right? And everyone basically use that as their form of media.
1: There is no one singular voice and, and nothing that you can guarantee that everyone is watching and paying attention to.
0: Correct. So that's theme number one. Yes. Theme number two is the rise of online fashion. I like this particular discussion about why we, in fact, join fashion communities online. And he references 2002 Dave Hickey piece and this quote, for Americans, the experience of beauty is necessarily inextricable from its optimal social consequence membership in a happy coalition meaning that in some ways like it's important to pursue happiness mm-hmm. as a form of like enlightenment
1: and also that it's a group activity
0: yeah and humans are social yes in, in essence on this topic there's a fair bit of historical context that guy goes into to discuss and i suggest if you're interested to to give it a read but for me the key takeaways for this topic was that the world of fashion has changed and currently we're given much more choice in choosing how we dress and there's so many more mediums to facilitate the discussion around this topic. In the past, you know, in a pre-internet era, in a pre-social media era, it was really hard to actually engage in these discussions, right? Like, especially if you were into fashion, you lived in a small town that didn't have a ton of people that were into it, it would essentially be like, oh, like you randomly stumbled into somebody. Now it's like Twitter, Slack, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, and more.
1: I mean, I think This section, the rise of online fashion, is also connected to what we were talking about, about media fragmentation, in the essence of guide traces how print magazines sort of fall out of fashion and then people begin to refer to blogs and then eventually people just refer to each other and they form their own groups where they talk about fashion or the aesthetics of fashion. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's really interesting.
0: Yeah, and the final topic was New democracy in fashion. According to Guy, the start of the decade featured a one way dialogue between how you were to wear and engage in topics such as workwear, tailoring, and heritage fashion. But now we don't really have a reference or a playbook. I would say that in general, there's a lot of inspirations that are thrown at you. Like I could search a hashtag and I could see the full gamut of how people interpret a particular, I guess, theme or a topic, right? And we have much more flexibility and, in effect, much more open mindedness about how we dress. Uh, I think maybe this is a little bit different for menswear. I still think there's a lot of like meme type stuff that emerges from like streetwear in terms of like, oh, like this dude was dressed by the internet and whatnot. I think that's still very much prevalent. But I think for things that are a little bit more complex, that have, I think when I mean complex, I mean when the way you dress is not defined by, sort of common denominator pieces like a hoodie or a t-shirt.
1: Well, it's interesting because Guy also mentioned at the beginning with the Kathy Horan piece that women's wear seemed to move more quickly away from trends Mm -hmm. and more towards each woman figuring out what works well for you, for your personality and your body. Mm -hmm. But then men's wear, Guy was observing that he still sees recent trends in the internet age such as what you were Describing where someone might say, you know, dressed by the internet at a certain yeah. moment in time.
0: Yeah. So I I think that in general, it's, it's pretty valid in that trends do exist, but I think that trend gatekeepers, if you call it, are basically the ones that own the distribution. And we've talked about this before. Like, that's why celebrity based brands will probably be in many ways what the future of fashion looks like, because they have the ability to cut through the noise through impassioned community and whatnot.
1: Yeah, where the trends are coming from is a different place than before.
0: Yes, that's correct. So to cap this thing off, one of the last paragraphs I thought was really sort of accurate in depicting everything that's happened in the last 10 years. The quote goes, this past decade will not be remembered for its trends, but rather the new ways in which we engage with clothing. We've reached an age where there's a full kaleidoscope of possibilities in terms of appearance, and the ascendancy of one look doesn't necessarily displace another. While there are trends, they're filtered through very dispersed communities. Few things truly dominate. The rise of custom clothing has also taken exclusivity to an extreme and very weird point. It's easier for people to differentiate themselves without the mania of trying to look au courant, which means like of the moment, right? Like of today. And then the final sort of sentence I thought was really interesting was fashion is now almost purely a discourse between engaged beholders, a colloquy of amateurs, and it need be nothing more. Yeah. And I think that's actually... Why did you like that? I really liked it because I think that it's really about who is the most engaged in this world of fashion, and it doesn't necessarily need to be something that needs to interact with professionals. Mm, mm -hmm. So like once you cut the fashion media out of the equation, it takes on a very different sort of being, right? It's much more dynamic. There's very little in terms of barriers to entry for better or worse. Like I think that we can always argue for both sides, right? Like what is the outcome when things are overly simplified and overly democratic? Uh, but at the same time it's like fashion to be honest it's not that serious yeah like if you are interested in it then by all means do what you want to do but if you want to engage in a particular community then that exists for you versus in the past i think it was a one-size-fits-all type approach so a good example is like some of the subreddits i follow are that i that i enjoy because it's not even just about the clothing it's the discourse and the passion around it are Mm -hmm. outlier and valence like two brands i really like right and you know that when people discuss and like highlight um, their thoughts on something i think by virtue of where this where these pieces sit in the sort of fact in the fashion spectrum they invite a certain type of user base or consumer base and they also look at clothing differently so i don't think valence will ever be for a certain type of person
1: yeah But it doesn't have to be.
0: It doesn't have to be. It's kind of, yeah. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah.
1: It's for the people that it's for.
0: And if you like Valence,
1: then you can go to the subreddit and you can talk about Valence.
0: And the discussion is often quite good and illuminating. Like, There's obviously a level of fanboyism, which I think is always very dangerous because in these sort of like subscribe to participate type uh, discussions, even like on social media, right? Like I'm subscribing to you because I follow you and I want to, and I identify with your point of view. Yeah. So it just becomes, in many ways, a different sort of one way dialogue. Because if you're an influencer, like no one's really going to push against you if you do something bad because mm-hmm. they're following you out of interest. Right. And I think that's yeah. also, in some ways, dangerous. I have, I see that less. Yeah. On I letter. see what
1: you, I know what you mean. I, on social media, that's more of the case. We've talked about this yeah. before because there is, that language of following the and following, is yeah, exactly. Yeah. Versus like a forum, like yeah, the subreddits,
0: yeah, like. And I think that there's an incredible amount of balance when you go to the outlier f- subreddit, right? People are just as quick to like call out bullshit if they don't feel that this is up to a certain uh, level of quality they expect from the brand. Mm, right? That's good. Yeah,
1: there was one quote I like that you didn't actually read. It comes from the middle bit. Where Guy writes, over time, it became increasingly possible, even legitimate, for everyday people to subvert the official authority of clerics, bureaucrats, and academics, who were assigned the difficult task of determining the, quote, real value, uncovering the true meaning, and enforcing the correct interpretation of art. Being able to say, well, isn't that pretty, is no small thing. And he was talking about a specific moment in history where this changed. I think he was talking about the Italian Renaissance. But I think that's still true to what you were saying about subreddits. Like, the people on those forums don't need to be these official authorities, whatever that means, whether they're like licensed or have degrees or something like that. They just have to enjoy the thing and look at it and think about it and talk about it, yeah. and that's all that's necessary.
0: I mean, it's not, in many ways, the creative world has very few objective elements. Yeah, and it. I think that's the thing that sometimes I lose track of right and
1: well fashion weirdly does have objective elements in terms of practical quality
0: th- yeah but I would say that in general fashion is not about the practicality of yeah
1: it. the aesthetics there's no objectiveness yeah we can't say that there's objectively Wait, yeah. I wouldn't say that and at I, least. I
0: find that really interesting because there's no way that you can actually ever really be right like there are certain things that that i think emerge and you're like hey you know what why was this created And if you can't answer that then that's objectively bad right and that's maybe the sort of de facto sort of thing you can rely on but beyond that like is that a bad color is that bad design like uh, it's only
1: bad in the context of what is it for in terms of like let's say you were making let's say you were making a jacket a very specific audience and research shows that that audience likes certain colors and you don't make the jacket in that color but you've said that you're making it for that audience then i mean i would still use the word bad but you were making a decision mm-hmm. to ignore like research but again it's not objectively bad it's just bad in the context of the decision that you've made in terms of audience mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah the same as you were saying as like If you say, this is why I'm making it, but then you didn't factor in certain things that might contribute to that achieving your goal, then maybe you haven't done as good of a job as you could
0: have. Yeah. I guess this is my takeaway from this is that based off of where we are currently in the world of fashion and the access to online discourse and the fact there's no real objectivity around fashion, does that make fashion less, I guess less definitive it's Mm. really about as long as you like it that becomes the only thing that matters nothing else matters it doesn't matter if it has any sort of like social discourse innovation as long as there's people out there that like it that's all that matters and it's almost made it uh i guess a little i don't even know the right word to use
1: i guess what's interesting is well now if you're in fashion what is the objective because Guy is saying, you know, few things truly dominate. That's the literal quote. So as if you're in fashion as a designer or producer or creator, whatever you are, then your goal is probably no longer to make sure that everyone is wearing this one thing. Yeah, Because that's not a realistic and not the way the fashion landscape is anymore. Yeah. So what is the goal now?
0: And the goal doesn't even need to be something that is at its core creatively bulletproof because there's who do you really answer to it's like as long as someone likes it and there's enough people that like it i mean that's always been the case don't get me wrong like that's always been the case but now it's been facilitated so now like you don't but even
1: i know what you're you're saying because there's no single authority anymore so you don't have to answer to an authority
0: exactly exactly you
1: just have to ensure that there is a group of people out there for what you are making
0: Charisse just you know crystallizing my thoughts you're welcome yeah so maybe yeah i find that part to be interesting because from an authority standpoint what what role do they really serve right especially nowadays if the authorities are really just whoever has distribution
1: or who has money like i'm thinking about the cfda yeah you know and how they still give out like an annual yeah, designer of the year yeah. or young designer
0: yeah,
1: emerging designer something like that that gives you money which allows you to do what you want
0: yeah
1: and it it is a case of you might have to consider authorities at certain moments in your career in order to get the push that uh, and to get a practical push mm-hmm. whether that's money or distribution yeah before you can continue to just amass your own separate audience yeah so there are obviously different routes to success. Yeah. You can just do grassroots, I believe.
0: Yeah. I mean, financial and creative success are two different things that yeah. don't always sure. overlap.
1: Okay. Well, that's it from us. First episode of 2020. For the people who care about milestones. I think that's a good place to cap things off for the day.
0: Oh, one last thing. Before we were recorded today, I actually had a chance to meet up with a listener from Making It Up. Ooh. Yeah, Adrian, nice to meet you. It was really interesting to, so to preface this, like Adrian is going to school in the US, but he's from Hong Kong. He's about to finish his last year of high school before going on to university. And it's always interesting to see where people, I guess, how do I put this? Are in their career? I'm going to date myself, but people that are way younger than me think about, I guess, creative culture and their inspirations and what are the challenges they have
1: I think if you've just put it in terms of, like, as a creative, how long have you been quote in the business of it? And you've, to date yourself, have been in it for, what, 20? Whoa. stretch? That 20 stretch. Sorry, but.
0: Almost 20. I don't know. It sounds weird.
1: Anyway, he's at the start.
0: Yeah, he's at the start, and I'm, like, in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. But it was really good meeting him. We were going to go to this coffee shop, but they didn't open till 10, so we went and got kanji. Wow. Yeah. Very yeah. Hong Kong.
1: Yeah. Extremely local activity. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we say it at the end of every episode, but if you want to reach out to us, this is proof that we do it. If you're interested in learning more about macon reading and listening to some of our stories, focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at macon.com M-A-E-K-A-N.com.
0: You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a friend.
1: Also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at Sharice at Megan.com, C-H-A-R-I-S, or Eugene at Macan.com, E-U-G-E-N-E. We love hearing from you. I'm Eugene. I'm Charisse.
0: And this is Making It Up.